0: The Enneagram Cast is sponsored in part by Your Enneagram Coach. Did you know that you can learn how to walk people through the Enneagram and see their lives transform right from the comfort of your own home while also making a great income? Find out how by going to yourenneagramcoach.com BEC. There you can become a certified coach and help others discover just who God made them to be. Again, that's yourenneagramcoach.com BEC.
1: You know, there was there was a significant amount of conflict, just physically, verbally, sibling rivalry, super competitive family. You know, we never did. We never played any games just for fun. Everything was to win. And then I'm a pastor's kid.
0: This is a show about self-discovery,
1: about understanding ourselves, about looking into the mirror to see the good,
0: the bad and the unknown of who we are this is about how we relate to god and everyone else from love thy neighborhood in louisville kentucky welcome 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 to the ENneA cast <laughs>
2: Hey, welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram. This season is all about story. And now we move into the gut triad today by looking at the story of Type 8, commonly known as...
0: The challenger or the the powerful person. Yeah. All of our Type episodes will be expounding on the content found in our workbook, Mapping Your Enneagram Story. So if you haven't yet listened to episode one from this season that walks you through this workbook and how to use it, I encourage you to do that first.
2: Right. And to get a copy of the Mapping Your Enneagram Story workbook, go to mappingyourstory.com. You can listen to this season without going through the workbook, but honestly, you're just going to get a lot more out of the content when it becomes very specific. Uh, So, again, to pick that up, head over to mappingyourstory.com. So, uh, just a quick refresher type eight, when they're healthy, they are strong, they're intense, they're confident, they're high energy, they're great leaders. And they stick up for the little guy.
0: And when they're not so healthy, they can tend to become aggressive and domineering. They don't necessarily listen to others. They can become vengeful. They have a desire to get even. You know, revenge is a big deal for non-healthy eights. They like being against. So they will start trouble just for the sake of trouble. And they can become insensitive and calloused.
2: So this season we're looking at how the Enneagram plus life story equals clarity. You know, we really need both our Enneagram as well as our life story in order to have a full picture of ourselves. So let's explore the story for Type 8. So, Sam, where does that story start?
0: Yeah, it starts in childhood. And so for 8s, they have a childhood theme of survival or combat. There may have been an unsafe environment, either an aggressive or domineering parent. They might have, you know, just grown up in a household where siblings just like to wrestle all the time. You know, there's just a sense of combat and survival. Jesse, do you have any other examples of what might take place in the life of an eight?
2: A lot of eights have like childhood homes that sort of are like bears, like, you know, sort of a den of bears. Mm -hmm. Like they just sort of there's a there's a lot of hands on activity and a lot of physical activity in those houses. Oftentimes, child eights have a parent eight, a parent who is pretty aggressive, a go getter, high energy. And there are scenarios in which There might have even been parents that were really, really assertive with that child to the point that the kid learned, I really have to stick up for myself if I'm going to make it. Sometimes it might even be that they're a middle child, maybe they have an older sibling or something that... Uh, that was domineering. But they grew up in an environment where it was, you really need to stick up for yourself if you're gonna make it in this culture, in this family, in this this community. So if you have a copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, look through the life turns that you mapped. Take note if you see this theme of survival or combat appear in any of the life terms that you mapped.
0: So this experience of survival and combat for the child eight leaves them with an unconscious message that it's not okay to be vulnerable or to trust anyone.
2: Yeah, because obviously if you make yourself vulnerable, that's ammunition for somebody to use against you. If you are vulnerable or you trust somebody, that's a weakness and it's going to get exploited and turned back on you. So the child eight just learns it's not healthy or safe to do that.
0: So that leads them to desire something good, which is to protect oneself. Obviously, it's it's good for us to crave protection and to feel safe and secure. But for the eight, it can lead to some unhealthy behaviors.
2: Yeah. So this all this stuff that happens in their early childhood, it's a backstory that sets the stage for the nurturing of our false self. And this nurturing of the false self really starts when the eight begins to settle. You know, we're all prone to settle for substitutes. And for the eight... They want to be protected, which is a good thing, but they settle for something else. And what they settle for is power and control. And here's why. Power and control promises the eight two things. It promises them invulnerability. In other words, no one's gonna be able to puncture through uh, your defenses and take advantage of you. It's gonna offer you the ability to withstand whatever is thrown at you and be invulnerable to it. And the second thing that power and control offers the eight is a sense of justice. We live in a world where there's a lot of injustice and a lot of things happen that shouldn't happen. And we can easily become victims of other people's injustice. And power control allows the eight to remain in a space where they're able to be judge, jury, and executioner. They're able to be the people that ensure that justice is delivered to them. And because the ape begins to believe that power and control will give them what they want, This desire for power and control becomes an idol. So the eight will easily devote themselves to being powerful or in control and be willing to go to great lengths in order to gain it. And in fact, they begin to sacrifice three good things in order to please this idol of power and control. Jesse, what are those three things? Uh, The first thing is that they sacrifice closeness with others. And the reason they sacrifice closeness with others is because weakness that way can't be discovered. If a weakness is discovered, it's going to be used against me. The second thing that they sacrifice is sharing their feelings or their fears. Those things are, are sensitive things. And if you share feelings, are you good grief, you share something you're afraid of, all that is telling the other person is, Oh, if you ever want to, you know, take advantage of me, here's literally the thing you can do to me. Right. So the eight learns, nope, they got to jettison that, you know, power and control demands that. And the third thing that they sacrifice is giving and receiving forgiveness and tenderness.
0: And so in this pursuit of power and the cycle of sacrificing to the idol of power and control, the eight creates the perfect conditions to grow their deadly sin. And for the eight, the deadly sin is shamelessness. And if that word is kind of hard to nail down, we like to say boundlessness. It's not knowing where your boundaries end, not knowing what's my business to take care of and what's someone else's business. What am I in charge of? What someone else is in charge of? There's just a relentless energy that the eight starts to take hold of and it's it's really it's a boundlessness energy
2: it's almost that sense of like the person that cuts through everybody's backyards or sits on everybody's porch it's like you have a house like mm, that, yeah you know and there's streets and like it's just that sense of like i go where i please and it's up to you to stop me from doing it and if you can't stop me then it's gonna it's your fault
0: right yeah it's kind of careless in its approach yeah so here are some of the ways that the eight can grow shamelessness or boundlessness in pursuit of power They do that through anger and injustices. And so it's the idea of there's an injustice here and I'm going to blow up about it and I'm going to get really, really angry and really heated. They do that through triumphing over enemies. So remember we talked about how there's always a sense of the eight feels like the world is coming against them. And so they have perceived enemies, whether real or not. They do this through resentment and revenge. So they're always trying to get even with others. And they do this through outrages and affronts. So they'll pick fights just for the sake of the fight itself.
2: Yeah. And again, remember, one of their nicknames is the challenger, you know, and so these folks are naturally wired towards pushing back against things that they see as injustice. Mm -hmm. The problem is just a lot of times that things that are perceived as unjust are actually not or that the interpretation is wrong or the level of reaction is just dialed up too much for what the situation really asks for. So, again, if you have mapping your Enneagram story, take a look at your emotional map. And notice some of the dominant emotions. You know, can you see shamelessness or boundlessness attached to any of these? And if you're like, "Well, I'm not I'm not shameless, like I know what my boundaries are." I would encourage you to do some more work because often this shamelessness is growing unnoticed and that's because sin is adaptable and it learns how to defend itself. And the eighth defense of their sin is through their psychological defense mechanism known as denial. And denial is about preventing Any display of personal weakness showing up in your awareness as well as in how the public sees you, where an eight will tell themselves things such as, I'm not scared, life is great, I don't need anyone, I'm the smartest person in the room, everything is going really, really well, or we're really successful, and the reality is that there may be all these other factors and pieces of evidence that say that that's not true. And the real risk here is that denial leaves the eight without a clear picture of how they're really doing in life, especially when it comes to their relationships.
0: Yeah, I was thinking as you were, were saying that if it's hard for eights to identify shamelessness or boundlessness, describe the event to someone else and see what they have to say. Like, I think eights can kind of deny their role in the story and their role in in the consequences. And so, eights, I encourage you to to open up and to share some of your story with others. Denial
2: in particular is a dangerous one because our friends at Crosspoint say whatever you disown owns you. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody denies that something is true and that it's not reality, but it clearly is and all the evidence shows it, that stuff is owning you. That stuff is controlling you. So as much as you want to be the one in control, you're being controlled by denying reality.
0: So it's called a deadly sin for a reason. You know, shamelessness is destructive, but it tries to disguise itself as something good or helpful. And if left unchecked, the inner mantra for the eight can end up becoming your injustice justifies my shameless actions.
2: Okay, so Sam, so where does all this bad news, like where does this leave the eight?
0: Yeah, it leaves them kind of like bullies and it leaves them unaware and it leaves them guilty, not necessarily feeling that guilt, but the status of guilt, being guilty. Yeah. So what started as a good desire to protect oneself has now gotten ruined.
2: Okay, so that's none of that's good news, but there is good news. And the good news is that God doesn't leave us here. And for every person, there's a moment in our story when we encounter Jesus. And in Jesus, eights, we see the true powerful person. You know, Sam, what are some of the ways that we see the true powerful person show up in the character of Jesus?
0: You know, the classic example I feel like is when he flips tables in the temple. But I, I think anytime he confronts the Pharisees on their on their hypocrisy or on their their legalism, I think that that's a time of of combating the status quo. Yeah, he challenges a broken system, right?
2: And he challenges it, the broken religious system. He challenges the broken government system. Like he challenges, and there's a there's real authority that comes with that. So, you know, in order for anyone to gain our trust, they have to give us two things. First, they have to empathize with our wounds. But second, they have to show us their authority. And Jesus gives us both of these things. So eight, how does Jesus empathize with your wounds? Jesus was unfairly attacked by powerful people and stripped of his freedom. He knows why you fear those things and how those wounds have impacted your life. And your wounds are also his wounds.
0: Jesus also shows his true authority by affirming the true self of an eight. Jesus confronted, challenged, and pursued justice. In Matthew 5, 6, we see him say that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So he affirms the true self of the eight, but he also confronts the false self because he embraced weakness out of mercy for others.
2: Yeah, and so the, and that's a direct confrontation of the false self that says, I'm never supposed to be weak. And Jesus says, no, you can be strong and you can be weak. And so this question emerges, right? How is it that Jesus could be so gifted at challenging, at confronting, speaking with clarity, speaking with authority? How could he do all of those things and yet never succumb to the sin of shamelessness? And I think the way that he does that is that he believed the father who told him I will not betray you. So Jesus didn't live with his belief that at any moment that he could be betrayed because he believed the Father would always be faithful to him, always be true to him, and never betray him. And eight, Jesus now turns to you, and he says the same message to you. I will not betray you. And that puts you in a position then to begin to receive something from God Luke 6:36 says, "Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And out of believing this message that Jesus speaks to you, you can begin to see the redemption of your true self.
0: The Holy Spirit is able to work into the eight what they originally wanted, to be protected. And one of the ways he often does this is through the virtue of mercy. And I love mercy because it's different from grace. You know, we talk about justice is getting what you deserve and grace is getting better than what you deserve. But mercy is not getting what you deserve. So if I deserve punishment, I've been instead, I've been given mercy, which is the relinquishment of punishment. And so for eights, they have this this great sense of justice about them, but the way forward is for them to experience mercy.
2: Yeah, and that allows them to give compassion and kindness to other people. And it also allows them themselves to receive mercy, which is a healing thing for their own pain so they don't always have to feel like they've got to be strong. And so what ends up happening is that out of stepping into this virtue of mercy and out of believing this good news, instead of growing the deadly sin of shamelessness, this virtue of mercy comes along and it grows the fruit of tenderness. And it invites the eight who so over identifies with bigness and strength and power back to a place of vulnerability and tenderness, this innocent childlike thing that's inside of them. Like it allows them to step back into that.
0: So again, refer to mapping your Enneagram story timeline here. Do you see mercy growing through any of your life turns? you know, think about times that you've maybe stood up for someone else or someone has stood up for you. It's okay if that's not a part of your story. You know, virtues, they take time to grow. So ask the Holy Spirit to help grow mercy in you and grow tenderness. And if you do see that, then praise the Lord. He's making you more complete in him. You know,
2: and as the eight continues to walk with God and be transformed, instead of reflecting a domineering and a vengeful spirit, their true self starts to reflect God's character. And eights, here's what you reflect back to the world about God you reflect back to the world God's power and God's protection.
0: And this story isn't just an invitation for eights. There is an invitation for all of us here and that is to stand up for yourself and for others and to speak out for what you believe.
2: All right, so that is the enneagram story for type 8s. When we come back we'll be talking with writer and speaker Barnabas Piper. Stay with us. <music> The Enneacast is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood offers social justice internships supported by Christian community for young adults like Daniel Morrison from
0: Maryland.
1: Living in community definitely brought out certain aspects of my character and going through my results on the Enneagram as well. um, That, yeah, it was like, oh wow, well, now I see a lot of the areas that I am weak, but I'm also learning about God's grace and his love for me in spite of that.
2: Ready to see how Love Thy Neighborhood could impact your life? Learn more and apply at lovethyneighborhood.org. Hey, welcome back to the IndieCast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Our guest today is Barnabas Piper. Barnabas is an avid writer, reader, and a Minnesota sports fan. Uh, he is the author of three books, including Help My Unbelief, Why Doubt is Not the Enemy of Faith. He is the director for community at Emanuel Church, Nashville. He also co-hosts the Happy Ramp podcast, a show about church, culture, sports, entertainment, and just general nonsense from time to time. Uh, he is a father of two and... He is an eight on the Enneagram. So
1: welcome to the show, Barnabas. Really glad to be on with you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for asking me.
2: So I guess, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. And in particular, you know, what role does the Enneagram play either in your work or in your life?
1: Yeah, so I am, I'm a dad. I have two daughters who are 14 and 11, and I'm on staff at our church, Emanuel Church in Nashville. I oversee our small groups and discipleship. I'm engaged to be married later this uh, later this year. Although with coronavirus stuff, we will see what the date is on that and how that all works out. So there's you know it's it's, it's a lot of relational. It's just a lot of relational stuff because even my work is very people oriented, very very much connected to people's lives, people's well being, people's spiritual lives, and so the enneagram. I, I think I encountered it probably three three and a half years ago and and began to f- start to figure it out a little bit at least as it pertained to me and it's been very helpful in understanding specifically where I go wrong you know the kinds of things that I get persistently frustrated at myself about because I rub people the wrong way I you know lean into conflict I shoot my mouth off whatever it is. And so to understand kind of the fuller picture of what an Enneagram 8 is has actually really helped me in knowing where I need to conscientiously lean into the grace of God, focus on on how sanctification applies to to my personality type, and in understanding where other people's weak points are or where they feel threatened or how they attack their work or those kinds of things. Whereas my instinct would be to sort of freight train over them because it just seems, you know, inconvenient or they're they're being whiny or they're being, you know, I'm, I just want to say like buck up and get the job done. And instead of that, I've started to learn more empathy, patience, humility, those kinds of things. So it's it really has been beneficial in seeing specific ways I need to pursue the Lord in sanctification. And in those relationships,
0: did you resonate with Type Eight the first time you heard it? Not
1: really. To some of it, I, I resonated with all the good parts. You know, I think that's that's normal. You look at it and you're like, oh yes, that's great, I, wonderful. I want to be like that. The part that I struggled to resonate with specifically was the the sort of self protection woundedness aspect of it because I don't I don't overtly label myself that way. I don't that that did not feel like a, a real direct connection for me. The other thing was I, you know, I was at a real transitional point in life. And so I kind of resonated with a whole bunch of different numbers in parts. And and I could almost put different numbers on different stages in my life. You know, so more of a seven at this point, more of a three at this point, more of a more of an eight in the workplace, those kinds of things. But over the last couple of years, it's really become more and more clear that, yes, this is a more, this is a more accurate characterization of both my strengths and my weaknesses. Yeah. What do, you, what do you see as the gifts that eights bring to other people and to God? Clarity and leadership are two things that come to mind. There's just sort of the, the ability to, to see a problem or see an injustice or see a conflict and go, this is the resolution to this. And when we're when we're wrong, we can be we can be real problematic. But when we're right, we can kind of cut through a lot of the the needless tension, or passive aggressiveness, or delays in, in resolution, and get to the place of of we need to sit down, and we need to talk this out, or this is how we solve this problem, or this is the direction we need to go. And in both relationships, in church life, in business, those are all. That's a necessary and beneficial thing. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, if it's okay, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the childhood themes. You know, many eights describe a theme of survival or combat in their in their childhood. So does that resonate with you or feel true in any way?
1: It's funny because at the gut level, my immediate response is no. But then I think about my childhood circumstances. Uh, I, had a, I had a healthy family, but I'm the fourth of four boys. I have a younger sister who was adopted later on, but I basically grew up as the youngest of four boys. So, yeah, that's yeah. that's that's a lot of testosterone. <laughs> right. And I think I think earlier in the podcast you described sort of a den of bears wrestling. I mean, that's strikingly accurate, almost literally. So, Yes, you know, there was there was a significant amount of conflict just physically, verbally, sibling rivalry, super competitive family. You know, we never did we never played any games just for fun. Everything was to win. And then I'm a pastor's kid, which means that there's a whole different category of tension and conflict and kind of feeling feeling at risk for being your true self, which is something that I, I wasn't really able to kind of sort through until adulthood. So yeah, I think, <laughs> I think my childhood very much has those themes in it. Although just viscerally, I wouldn't have said yes, because I, I was also fairly happy as a child. I, you know, I didn't go through life feeling like I was threatened, but those themes are, are absolutely there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So does the desire to protect oneself, does that resonate with you?
1: It does. That was part of the eight that I I struggled to resonate with the most, but probably because it was just sort of so deeply rooted, I couldn't put my finger on it. I would attach that to to the pastor's kid aspect of of my upbringing because there, yeah, there's just such a sense of people's expectations and all eyes on you, and any mistakes are judged often more harshly. Than they would be for other people. So there is this sense of you just you just keep it tight, you keep it close. That sort of pressure often pushed me more towards conflict and combativeness than it did, you know, reservation or withdrawing or anything like that. I
2: mean, I would imagine. Yeah. So to be, you know, in
1: in your particular
2: case, you know, your your father is on the public stage. And so there's a certain extent to where the criticism just gets more heavy handed. And I could see it. I could see it in some context turning into a little bit of we feel the pressure of the world pushing against us all the time. And we kind of have to hold our ground or it's going to, you know, it's going to
1: harm us in some way. And I think that that occasionally brought out some of the worst in me as an eight, because again, sort of thriving on conflict, which can be productive, but it can also be just combative. And so rather than sort of folding in on myself, I would kind of want to hit back. And over the years, I've had to learn what it looks like to, you know, to be forgiving, to let criticisms go, to to kind of hear what does and doesn't matter to let my dad stand up for himself. He doesn't need me to defend him. But I've also always had close friends with whom I could be fully honest and fully open. And so it, it always felt like there were outlets for that. And so I think that's part of the reason I struggled to resonate with it is because it it's not 100% I struggle to do this. It is I will only do this, this be vulnerable, be open in very particular contexts. Yeah, yeah.
0: We talked earlier about how AIDS often settle for power and control, and you're you're getting at, at both of those here. So how is what are some specific ways that that's shown up in your life?
1: Man, I think I see that most in my life now as a parent. Just life is a a tug of war for control, because they you know they're growing into wanting more freedoms. They have they have their own opinions. They have their own minds. They are quick-witted and sharp-tongued. And, and I mean both of those things as compliments. And so when I'm at my worst as a dad is when I just shut them down and I just settle for being domineering. You know, we're done with this argument. Stop talking, go to your room. Occasionally, that kind of thing is necessary, but it's a last resort, not a I'm done with this type of thing. And so I see that this control aspect of things is when I've given up as a parent. It's when I'm not parenting in the strength of the Holy Spirit, relying on the grace of God, showing the grace of God. That's where I see it most. I think in other areas, it's often just taking ownership of things that I should share. It's so much easier for me just to say, fine, I'll do it myself. And not trusting other people, not depending on my coworkers who are excellent at their jobs, not giving people a chance to shine, but rather just going, I got this. I'll take care of it, and and again, it's sort of it's the settling as opposed to doing the necessary hard work of of sharing, of trusting, of enabling others to do things. So those parenting is is the the, the most obvious category for me where I see that, but I, it it shows it rears its ugly head in other areas as well. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, talk to me about this, like, and you you alluded to some of
2: this a minute ago when you talked about. That there are times where you don't want to give things to coworkers or that there are times where you just go, you know what, just get out of the way. Let me do it. But in in a broader sense, like what are the ways in which shamelessness or boundlessness, like
1: how have these shown up in your life? I think lashing back is one specifically just verbally. I have almost an insatiable desire to win an argument and have the last word, even if I know I'm wrong because because winning and being right have nothing in common if the internet's taught us anything it's that um so that's always a temptation for me to speak out of turn in terms of you know an ill-timed joke or a hurtful word or a sarcastic comment like sarcasm is just a a go-to for me and sarcasm's like you know it's like any seasoning if you if you use it appropriately it improves things if not you just ruined the whole meal and <laughs> and so i I often ruin the whole meal, and then what you guys were saying about denial the sort of the 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 ongoing or immediate rewriting of reality is something that i I see in myself as well that that explanation was very helpful to articulate a thing that i I have seen but couldn't have described very well that again is is a is an instinct that I have to perpetually take before the Lord to ask him to help me with because because it's hard to admit being wrong and it's hard to take the blame for something. And it's hard to own the blame for, I mean, if, if I'm in a leadership position, I'm responsible for other people's decisions too. So it, it rolls up to me sometimes. And so it's much easier to, to blame shift, to point fingers. And again, sort of to rewrite, rewrite some of those things in the moment. So I think those, those are daily struggles for me to keep my mouth shut you know, to have well-timed words, not just shooting from the hip or machine gunning with my mouth, and then to to not deny, but to accept, to to be humble, to allow other people to correct me, which is not something I do easily. Those are, I think those are ways where that that shamelessness tends to show up on a regular basis.
2: Yeah. One of the things that we talk about is that we say that the that God's message for type eights is, uh, I will not betray you. What part of that message resonates with you? You know, how do you feel when you
1: hear God tell you, I will not betray you? That's another tricky one for me because I grew up with such clear, strong biblical teaching about the character of God and his presence, his faithfulness, his sovereignty, his love, that cognitively, I've never doubted that statement. But there have definitely been times when it became a very present reality for me. You know, it's it, instead of knowing that it was true about God, feeling as if God's word spoke it to me. Three years ago, I got divorced, and it was it wasn't something that I was seeking, and it was just it was a is the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And at no point during that pretty protracted uh, experience did I ever feel like God was absent. And again, between the church and God's people and God's word he just spoke over and over and over again his presence his love his forgiveness his his affirmation you know and that was a time of life where where betrayal was a was a very pointed present thing in in the most important human relationship I had and so to feel the disparity between those two things where so much betrayal on one side and so much faithfulness on God's side yeah it, it it's the kind of thing that imprinted it on me indelibly and so, yes, I need to keep preaching the gospel to myself and I need to keep going back to the word, but there's just sort of that stone of remembrance of, you know, 2015, 2016, God did and said these things. And yet you know, it's just kind of unforgettable and and completely formative.
2: Yeah. And of course, those those huge experiences that we have, I think stone of remembrance is a great way of saying it. Like you make that marker and you just go like... I, you know, yes, I'm still on this journey, but man, that experience and what God showed me about himself and about who I am to him in that experience, that's how I'm going to keep going forward. Well, I've got, I've got one last question for you. If you could give a piece of advice to
1: a younger type eight, what piece of advice would you give them? Shut up and listen. And, and that's, I say that because I don't, I mean, I don't know if I'm still on the younger side of things, um, but it's something I need to hear. I need to hear it from wiser people. I need to hear it from myself. I need to hear it from my fiance. I need to, <laughs> to hear it from my kids. I say that because that that encompasses humility, willingness to be told you're wrong, willingness to hear, to, to listen to what other people are trying to communicate, even if they're struggling to say it well, hearing tone, hearing attitude, not just, not just argument. I think the other thing is look around at the failures of other eights for me moving into church leadership. So I just joined the church staff within the last year. It's been profoundly helpful to look around at the failures of other church leaders. We could list a series of names. That's not really important. Most of whom are Enneagram eight and look at them and go, what, what are the things that led them to, to fall, you know, either in pride or into sexual sin or whatever it was and then what what is it that that I need to do to respond to God differently and and follow Him faithfully? So again, not throwing stones at them, but just as a corrective measure. And I think I think humility and openness are two things that are a hundred percent of the time lacking in those situations where an eight has failed. And so that would be my advice to a younger eight: is shut up and listen so that you can learn humility and openness to to correction and openness to what the Lord is teaching. Mm, That's a good word. That is good. Yeah, really good. Well, when we come back, we will be playing Hot Seat
2: with Barnabas Piper. So stay with us. In today's episode of the Enneacast, we're exploring the story of Type 8. Perhaps more than anyone else on the Enneagram, they care about justice and about fighting back against things that are wrong and broken. Well check out our other podcast, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. And specifically, check out episode number 28, where the gospel meets mass incarceration. Although I'm not guilty, that's the reason why I end up being incarcerated.
0: You know, mass incarceration, the phenomena, we have 2.3 million people that are in jail. So that led me to take a sabbatical project and to explore what it would look like for us to teach inside a prison. He said, man, I'm sorry about that, man. Maybe in the future, but right
1: now, I need you to just be patient.
0: This isn't just some statistic. This is my community. These are my friends. And I was devastated.
2: You can listen to the Love That Neighborhood podcast by listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts, or by heading over to lovethatneighborhood.org slash ltnpodcast. Again, lovethatneighborhood.org slash ltnpodcast. Hey, welcome back to DeniaCast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And now it's time for Hot Seat. Okay, our game today is called Hot Seat. It's based off a real game by the company Player 10. So here's how it works. Sam is going to read a question off a card, and then Barnabas, you are gonna write down your answer to that question. At the same time, I'm also going to write down what I think your answer is. I'll reveal my answer first, and then you'll reveal your actual answer. So if they match, or if they're pretty close, I get a point. If they don't, then you get a point. Okay, are you all, you all ready? Yeah, let's go.
0: Okay, so question one: If I were a car, what model would I be? So that's for Barnabas. So if Barnabas were a car, what model would he be? What kind of car? Got it.
2: Oh, hold on, let me think about this for a second. I need to think of. Um... Oh my gosh, what's it called?
1: Um... Volkswagen. No. <laughs> I could give hints to lead you astray. Um... <laughs> Do that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, it's going to kill me if, if I'm,
0: if you, if he says it, yeah, you know, because I
2: can see it in my brain draw it because I can't draw <laughs> it. Uh, that was that an Enneagram four joke. Um, no. uh, so yeah. Cause friends of mine have one in Africa, but I can't think of what it is anyway. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Well,
2: okay. In that case
1: you're on the right track.
2: Yeah. I, it's a
1: land Rover.
2: Okay. Barnabas
1: uh close like same general family it's a toyota forerunner.
2: oh yeah i wrote down first i wrote down jeep then i wrote down land rover so do you get a point for that hmm. i'm basically it's in the off-road super tough let's go conquer something nothing can stand in vehicles. my way i'm gonna
0: run over yeah, something. It's, <laughs> it's tanks
2: for the general population i think you should get a point for that
0: Okay, I'll give him yeah. a point. Yeah. <laughs> All right.
2: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Okay.
0: Ooh, this one's interesting. What song always makes Barnabas sing along?
2: What song? Oh man. Always uh, death metal. No, that's
1: not right. <laughs> um, I I don't. It would don't, be helpful if you know.
0: knew what kind of music you listen to, because it could be a country I song. I know.
1: I know. It's, it's, it's here's, here's working in your advantage. There's a long list. There's there's a lot of songs that I will sing along with, but not on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: yeah is it T-Swift are you singing along to some Taylor Swift I will neither confirm nor deny <laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: okay Jesse, what's I'm your gonna answer? go
1: with uh, Happy by Pharrell okay
0: what is it Barnabas
1: Bohemian Rhapsody oh, oh what
0: a great that's choice that's a good one yeah that's a classic what a
2: ridiculously great <laughs> choice okay okay well no point for no me point. on that one yeah
0: I was gonna say Can't Stop the Feeling by Justin uh,
2: would you sing along to Happy by Pharrell
1: no, you know, I would just skip to the next song.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. A little too happy. Yeah. Okay. yeah. None of that chipper stuff. <laughs> okay. What is my superpower? What so is what? what? Is his superpower.
2: What is Barnabas's superpower? Yeah. Oh, if he could have a superpower.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that.
2: I really want to say that he would be like the Kool-Aid man and just like bust <laughs> through walls. Write
0: that down. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. I've got it. Jesse, you ready? Yeah, I was debating between two. So Same I both. really wanted to say I would considered like super strength. I went with
1: invincibility. That's that's a good choice. I, I went a different direction. I chose mind control and mind reading, like Dr. X from the X-Men. Mm, yeah, yeah. Because hmm. yeah, that... if you can get people to do whatever you want, uh, you're kind of invincible. You're yeah. not wrong.
0: Yeah. I'm glad neither one of you said something like, empathy my superpower is caring too much Uh, uh
1: so yeah his is
2: his his superpower is the care bear stare Yeah. (laughs) okay Uh, sorry no
0: points okay last question what's your favorite enneagram number
2: oh his favorite like who does he enjoy the company of the most yeah it'd be easier to pick my least favorite but that's me yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i've got okay so this is the debate there's in my mind there's who do I think that he enjoys socializing with the most? Mm-hmm. But there's another layer of who do I think that he values the most in his life? And I don't think that those are the same thing.
1: Who there's do you like there's to also like... who do I enjoy working with the most.
0: Yeah, that's what I thought you were going to say. So mm.
1: I would say, why don't we write down all three? Okay, okay. And, uh, <laughs> and if you get any of them right, you get a point. Man, you're so generous. You look at that mercy.
0: Are you a wing nine?
1: I already won, so it's really <laughs> it doesn't
0: really matter. so that's why, that's why.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right, let's see. So socialize, work with, and value most.
2: Barnabas, let me ask this. Are there are there three different numbers? Are two of them the same? Uh, there are three different numbers. Okay. Okay. So okay. I have my guesses.
0: Okay. What are your what's the one for socializing?
2: Okay, I think socializing
1: he enjoys sevens. Yeah. I put nines. Oh, yes. yeah. Well, sevens when sevens are all the way on, they have a tendency to annoy me a lot. Yeah, if they're not healthy. Nines
0: are the yeah. best. Yeah, okay, nines, is...
1: nines are the best
2: if they show up.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
2: If <laughs> they're like I'm busy and you realize
1: they're just at home watching reruns again. Uh, I also have an inordinate number of friends who are fours. I mean, I really enjoy hanging out with fours and occasionally I uh, I feel like they need to get out of their own heads, but mostly I get along with them very well.
2: So I just want to clarify that Barnabas, basically the three of us are now BFFs. Because yes. Sam's a nine, I'm a four. So welcome to the club. <laughs> uh, we're all gonna enjoy socializing together. Okay, uh, what's the next, what's okay, the work, work with? I'm gonna do work, threes. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because they're gonna get it done, and you can you you tell them once, and
1: they're off to the races. I also, I like working with other eights if we're all healthy. You know, yeah, eights yeah. are eights are great to work with most of the time. Okay, the people he values.
2: I really went back and forth on this. I think two, so I picked one. I, that's what I was gonna say. I was gonna say <laughs> one.
1: That was the other one. I literally wrote it down and then erased it. So that one was not a straight up like. It's just the number. My fiance is a one, and so I have uh, I've gotten a crash course in all of the ways that a one works. And so that one's it's a it's a very slanted answer because because of her. But yes, one yeah. is my choice for what I value most. Yeah, they're very
0: practical. They're you know they want to do what's right.
2: Mm-hmm. All right. So what does that mean, Sam? Who who won this thing?
0: Well, it depends on how many points you want to count that last one for. <laughs> you changed I said them. if he got any
1: of them, he got a point. So he, he guessed threes on the nose.
0: Yeah, so Barnabas still won. Congratulations,
1: Barnabas. <laughs> oh, it's great to go out a winner.
2: <laughs> Here's what I love, the idea that if maybe if he lost, he, we would just hear him hang up. like just, <laughs> just come out. The end. <laughs> All right, well, now it's time for listener questions.
0: Okay, this question comes from Claire Cox Zero. She says, I'm an eight and I don't have any questions because I know everything. Also, why do I hate everyone?
1: (laughs) I have an answer.
0: (laughs) What's your answer?
1: Uh, That sounds like an an unhealthy, unresourceful eight if they hate everybody. That seems (laughs) or everybody around them is unhealthy. I love I don't have any questions because I know everything. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It was fun to read. (laughs) This next question comes from E Ranger 4 and this person is a four, and they ask, eights seem to be the personality type that I have the hardest time getting along with. Is there anything I can do about it?
1: (laughs) Join the club. Um, (laughs) I think this is one, I think when we have difficulty getting along with somebody, this is where the Enneagram can be unhelpful because we think of them as a number and not as a person it's hard to get along with an eight. It might not be hard to get along with like Steve or Bob or Susan or whoever. And you have to think of it relationally. What does it look like to find points of relational health and commonality with this person? You can't find those with a number. A number is a category. There there are limitations to the helpfulness of numbers. And so I I think it's one of those things where we have to kind of set this aside and be like, this person is created in the image of God. What does it look like to to be gracious, to be merciful, to be kind, to befriend the individual people as opposed to the category of a number?
2: Yeah. I, one of the things I'm curious about in this is what i'm what I'm hearing more so is there's a particular personality element or there's an activity that they do. There's something that goes on that you're having a particular difficulty with because eightness in and of itself is not bad. Again, if it's healthy. Which aspects of the unhealthiness are really problematic in your dynamic? And then the question on that would be, what elements of their lack of health is hard for you, but how is it rubbing up against your lack of health too? So if you've got your wounds and they've got their wounds, how are these two things smacking into each other? I would encourage you just to be a little more specific because it's not AIDS as a whole. There's something in particular. Is it the shamelessness? Is it the sort of relentlessness is it the you feel bulldozed is it that you shared something sensitive and you felt like it wasn't honored you know those those would be specific things but I bet there I would challenge and also say I bet there are lots of eights in your life that actually you do get along with
0: yeah, I would add here to just the importance of story and mapping your story, because there's oftentimes when we have issue with one particular personality type, whether it be eight or another one, it's because somewhere along the way we encountered an unhealthy version of that person or that archetype or that type. And therefore, that's become kind of a caricature that now dictates how we receive you know, that relationship from other people. So if you have like a parent or a, or a teacher early on that, that was an age, what's your relationship like with that person? Because that that's probably driving some of the the distaste for the current eights in your life. Cool. Hey,
2: Barnabas, this has been awesome. Thanks for coming on and doing this.
1: Yeah, I've had a great time. Thanks for, uh, thanks for asking me to be on. <laughs>
2: Thanks to our special guest today, Barnabas Piper. You can check out his show, The Happy Rant. You can find The Happy Rant on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more about Barnabas's books and his writing, visit him at barnabaspiper.com. As always, thanks to our friends at Crosspoint Ministry who trained us in the Enneagram. You can learn more about their work at crosspointministry.com.
0: Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Come serve with us for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org.
2: Today's episode was produced by myself, Sam Stevenson, and Rachel Zabo. Engineering and editing by The Rachel Zabo. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX.
0: I'm Sam Stevenson.
2: And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community.